started the read and rant, if you are here for the first time, when we first started the read and rant, um, our commitment was to just read through the Bible, spend 20 to 30 minutes a day reading through scripture. And the reason why I thought that was important is because I believe that for most believers or for people who grew up in church, many, many believers have not, you know, read through scripture. They haven't read through scripture. And so there's a lot of misunderstanding about scripture because again, you know, just, just think about this just in context. I want you to think about this in context. You only have 52 weeks in a year. And for many believers, the most Bible that they get is that one hour sermon they get on Sunday. But you've got 52 weeks. So if you've got, think about this for a second. If you got perfect attendance at your church, Okay, for those who are regular churchgoers, and if you're not, we're glad you're here because this is not really about who regularly attends church or not. But just think about this. If you were to be a regular church attendee, meaning you you don't miss an, an, a single Sunday service, that means that all you're getting is 52 hours of scripture for an entire year. 52 hours, Right. And and assuming you're getting full scriptural teaching, one, two, maybe you're a double dipper and maybe you go to Bible study. Imagine this. If you spent 52 weeks a year going twice a week, having perfect attendance, that gives you 104 appearances with scripture. This is the travesty. For most believers, that's as much as they get. And the reality is, is that if we're only, because as pastors, if we're only given 52 weeks, even if we have Bible study on Wednesday and we got our sermons that we preach on Sunday, if that's all we got, and family, <laughs> we don't have the time in a year to get through the scriptures with you guys. And so for many believers, we tend to go back and we'll read wherever the Lord is leading. Some of, you know, there's some who are ex- expository preachers who will read through books of the Bible. There are those who try to read through um, certain portions of scripture. But the reality is most pastors, if not, I actually have not met a pastor who's preached the entire Bible. I have not met an entire pastor who's preached the entire Bible. And it's not to fault any pastor because I'm I'm in that category. I have not preached. I have not preached the entire Bible. <laughs> so there you go. So I'm not faulting even any pastors for that. It's just that the reality is that we as Christians have not read through the entire scripture. And that's unfortunate because you don't really get a full understanding of the story of God, the biblical story, unless you've read through the entire scripture. And so that's really what I wanted to do is I wanted to show many of you who are intimidating because you, when, when people see this, they look at this, they go, man, this thing is intimidating. Like you, and not only is this book thick, right? You say, man, this book is thick. Not only is this book thick, but the pages are thin. So that's even worse. You got a thick book with thin pages. So you go, man, I'm just going to wait to hear from a person who's read through all of it, who understands everything they've read and allow them to teach me. But here's the thing, y'all. And this is one of the reasons why I even launched the read and rant in the first place is that as thick as this book is and as thin as the pages are, and as much as this book is filled with information, with incredible information, the Bible is not a, uh, it's not an academic text. Are y'all hearing me? Like the scriptures and the words are tidy too. That's right. And the words are tidy too. This is not an academic text. 
That's the problem. I think for many people who are believers, they wait to, they need to understand this and they want to understand this simply from an academic, uh, from an intellectual perspective. But the reality is, is that scripture was intended to be experienced. Let me say that one more time. Scripture was intended to be experienced because scripture is the embodiment of God. The scriptures themselves are the embodiment of God. And so if they are the embodiment of God himself, it is the story of God. It's a letter written by God, but it is embodied in him. That's why when Jeremiah says this in, in Jeremiah chapter 16, he says, your words came and I ate them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. What he's essentially saying is he's, he's, he's saying to you that the word itself is edible. It's to be eaten. Not to be simply understood intellectually, but to be received, to be to be fed with, or to, sorry, to be fed by. And so if we are to be fed by the word, then we have to learn to eat the word, okay? And so eating the word is not, hey, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this verse and I'm going to keep reading it till I understand it and then go to the next verse and go, there's a place for Bible study. But the read and rant is not necessarily a Bible study. The read and rant is a meditation. It's a spending of time in the scriptures. Okay. It's a spending of time in the scriptures in order to receive from God what he has for us today. Okay. What's up, Sherry? What's good? So guys, I'm just vibing today. Um, I'm here to catch up with you all because that's what we do. We're here to catch up. I am so excited. I am excited, y'all. I am so excited that I'm here, that I'm vibing with you guys, that we're chilling and that we get to spend some time in the scriptures. Today, we're catching up. Uh, I've been here for about 10 minutes. I got on a little early, Sherry. So it's okay. You're not late. I didn't start reading yet. I didn't want to start reading till, till eight o'clock. Here's another thing I want to say, because I, I want to do a little bit of brass tacks before we get started uh, with the read and rant, because I see everybody's flowing in now. So um, we're going to get ready to go. Uh, but guys, this, uh, so I ask you to do two things. Read with an open mind. And what I mean by that is, is that there are those of you who are right now, because I can see, but there are those of you right now who are either church broken, church hurt, who are atheists or who are non-churchgoers who have a jaded perspective of church and a jaded oppressive perspective of scripture. I want you to have an open mind. That's for you. For the other group who may have grown up in church, okay? You may have grown up in church and you're still a loving churchgoer and you're one of the perfect attendance people, okay? Um, if you're one of the perfect attendance people, you're just looking to triple dip because you're looking for more. This is an opportunity for more, but I also want to uh, challenge you. Um, I want to challenge you in your reading because often what we've done is, is that we have inserted ourselves into scripture. And because we've inserted ourselves into scripture, we lose what the scripture is actually saying. So I want to challenge you as well to back away from inserting whatever has been uh, you've been encultured with, that you've been doctrinally influenced with, to simply say, you know what, I'm going to back away and I'm going to read what this actually says. Okay? We're going to read what this actually says because what I've learned in my time of reading with you all, for those of you who have been in the read and rant with us, what I've learned is there are many of you who say, I grew up in church and I can't believe I missed all this stuff. I can't believe I didn't catch this. I can't believe I didn't catch what 
what you're saying here. And, and honestly, the, the interesting thing about it is, is I'm not saying anything that's not there. I'm telling you whatever is there. I'm just literally saying this is what the Lord is speaking into me today and to say this is what is here in the text. So for many of you who said this has been liberating, this has been uh, there's been a deliverance for you because you didn't know. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know this is how I'm supposed to read the Bible. This is how I'm supposed to understand it. And now I'm beginning to understand that that there's a profound simplicity to Scripture in the complexity of the Scripture. But we're not here to emphasize the complexity of the Scripture. We're here to just talk about the simplicity of the Scripture because it's really simple. The Scriptures make wise the simple. Okay? So if you're a simple thinker, Okay, you're not super philosophical and super theological. Even if you're not, I'm not deep. You might not be deep, but let me tell you something. You might learn something profound for the deep people. You might learn, man, I've been deep for the wrong things. I've been deep in the wrong way. So the read and rant, I just want to ask that at that first, you read with an open mind. Open your heart to receive what the scripture is actually saying. Okay. That's what I want you to do. And that's for those two, those two individuals. Now, if you have been here and journeying with us, because I got my reading rant fam here. So you guys already know what I'm about. Um, and you know what we do here and you know why we do it. Um, we started the reading rant. Um, we're just doing some brass tacks here. We're doing some brass tacks. Okay. Um, and then we'll do a little bit of reading and then we're going to call it today. Um, oh, one more thing to say before, before I, I share some thoughts here. Um, uh, so I'm going out of town tomorrow. I'll be in Boston tomorrow and I won't be back until, uh, until Thursday evening. So I will make every attempt. Okay, guys, I just want to give you the heads up. I'm going to make every attempt while I'm in Boston to still do the read and rant with you at 8 a.m. So we're still on the same time. We're going to spend 20 minutes reading the scriptures. We're going to spend another 30 minutes um, reflecting on the scriptures. However, uh, tomorrow might be a little bit challenging for me because it is a late morning flight. So what I'm going to do is, is I want to get started an hour earlier tomorrow. So tomorrow I'm going to jump on at seven instead of eight to make sure it's there so that I can read along with you guys. So with that, we can keep our rhythm. So I'll come and I'll do it about an hour earlier with you guys. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll come in, we'll do seven. I know it's hard for some of you because I know my folks on the West coast right now, they already have to wake up at, uh, what is it at, at 5am <laughs> to jump on. And even when I used to do it at seven, some of you were waking up at four just to jump on as well. Um, the reason why I even moved it to eight, cause I actually prefer seven, but the reason why I moved it to eight is for my West coast folks. Okay. Uh, because I want to make sure you guys are here with us. So, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Cali, 4 a.m. Exactly. So I know, I know I'm asking you to do a lot here, but that's okay. I, I just want to, it's only going to be one day that we'll do that. But tomorrow I want to come here real quick, do the reading round with you, run home and, uh, and head out to, to my flight to Boston. And then while I'm in Boston, you know, I'll take the time. We're going to continue to do the reading rant. We'll be back on schedule again. So we're going to continue to press into that. Okay. So. Um, just wanted to get that out of the way. So that way you guys know. All right. Good to see you, Jason. Good to see everybody. Thank you so much for the badge. Thank you so much for the gift. Um, really appreciate that. So 
I felt it necessary as we're getting into Samuel, just to just to give you five minutes of a breakdown of what we've learned up to this point. Um, and you know, I'm not gonna be able to do that in five minutes. However, <laughs> I'm gonna try to at least give you a uh at least set the stage for what's about to happen next. Um, set the stage for what's about to go down. So if you'd allow me, for those of you who have been journeying, we've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and now we're going to be reading 1 Samuel. Really, 1 and 2 Samuel. It's really one book. 1 and 2 Samuel is really the book of Samuel. It was just broken up into two. Um into first and second Samuel, but that's okay. That's neither here nor there. Uh, but we have the book of Samuel, first and second Samuel. Now, uh, notice how much scripture we've gotten through. Uh, we got through a lot of scripture with 20 to 30 minutes a day. So if you're here for the first time, you're like, man, I, I wish I'd been known about this. For 20, 30 minutes a day, we've been reading through Genesis all the way to first Samuel. And I told you guys, while I'm on this sabbatical, catch up. And a lot of you have messaged saying, I've caught up. I've, I've gone on the Read and Rant. You can check the Read and Rant podcast. It's on Apple and it's on Spotify. I want to encourage you, go on there, check it out, because you can, I'd love for you to catch up with us as well. But I want to at least give you a quick breakdown of what we've read through the Old Testament up to this point. <sighs> Genesis is a book about how God reestablished order and disorder came out of that order. Sometimes we look at the creation narrative in Genesis chapter one, and we see the creation narrative as creation. You know, God, because we see in, in verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was, with, but then it says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness came upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. Um, I don't want to belabor the time on this, but instead of seeing the creation story, because again, we're supposed to be reading. Now, I want to back that up for a moment. This was a book written by ancient Israelites to ancient Israel. If this book is written by ancient Israelites to ancient Israel, then we would be doing the books that we read a disservice if we read it as Jamaicans or if we read it as Americans or if we read it as there's people from the UK right now. There are people from Australia right now. There are people from all around the world. You have a cultural context. American culture is not the same as Australian culture. Jamaican culture is not the same as Haitian culture, right? Um, even in America, there's a whole swath of cultures, right? You've got African-American hip-hop culture. You've got, you know, you've got all different kinds of culture, right? You've got, you know, um, um, Middle America, right? Americana culture, right? You've got different types of culture, even in the United States. And so we all have a lens, that we tend to read the scripture through. So I want to invite you and encourage you to back out of that because you're reading a book. I want to make sure you understand this. I know it's going to take me a while to get to the reading today, but I want to get to that. This is just a setup today. Okay. We're just setting it up. This is a book 
written by ancient Israelites to ancient Israelites. Okay. What we're reading through the Old Testament is a book written by ancient Israel to ancient Israel. So let's back out of our thinking. Let's stop inserting our thinking into the text. And let's read the text through the lens of ancient Israel. Ancient Israel did not see the creation narrative the way that we see it. We're the ones who force, you know, there's all these arguments about, you know, God created things in seven days and the scriptures tell us that God created everything in seven days. This is us forcing ourselves onto the scripture. We don't, that's not the whole purpose actually of the scripture. The purpose of the scripture was not to tell you that God created all things. Dang, I'm already... I, I have to do this, y'all, because I, I want to make sure you understand what the narrative of the Bible is about. We got this backwards. We, you know, the stuff that sometimes we teach and preach and all that, it's, it's just not it. Okay. It's not it. Um, the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter one was not a story about how God created everything. We see it because we're inserting ourselves into it. What the book of Genesis is about is the story of how God took chaos, brought order to chaos. And in bringing order to chaos, that's Genesis chapter one. Notice that every part of Genesis one was about, I feel like I'm taking more than more time than I should, but, but he's bringing order to chaos. Go back to the reading rants. You'll see it. He's bringing order to chaos. Notice he's separating life from the day. He's separating the waters. He's separating. There was already water there. There was already all these things. And so he's separating the, the light from the darkness. He's separating the waters right? He creating atmosphere. He's separating the land from the waters. Notice that. He's separating, separating. He's separating the animals from the ground, the vegetation. Notice God is ordering things. It's the miraculous ordering of things. He's separating the vegetation from the ground, the animals from the ground. He's separating creatures from the water. That's where we see the birds and the fishes. So he's separating, 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 meaning God is reorganizing a disorganized earth. He's bringing order to chaos. This is how ancient Israel would understand it. And so he's bringing order to chaos. And after he's brought order to chaos, he does something in this iteration. He says, I'm going to insert myself into my creation. And the way that I'm going to do that is through man. So he says, Elohim, who many think is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but no, it's Yahweh. Elohim is the many gods. Elohim says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Being made in the image of God was not, oh, I am God. No, being made in the image of God meant that you now were given authority to rule the earth that God has brought order to and that you'll rule it according to his authority and his rule. We are sub rulers of the Elohim. The Elohim does not mean Trinity. 
But that's another conversation. And maybe eventually I'll do a teaching on Elohim because there's so much incorrect teaching about the Elohim. The Elohim is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some people say that, but that's not true. And scripture makes it very clear that the Elohim is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do I believe in the Trinity? Yes, I do. I believe there's a Trinitarian. Uh, 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 I believe in the Trinity. However, the Elohim is not the Trinity. So therefore, the Elohim are the rulers of God in the realm of the spirit. And human beings are the rulers of God in the physical realm on earth. He has given us authority on earth. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. So Genesis is about how God now was establishing his kingdom and his order in Genesis. But then what does man do? Man chooses his thing over God's thing. Man sins against God. After man sins against God, man's rule leads to destruction. God's rule leads to flourishing. Because man chose to rule in his own way, it led to destruction. Everything that is destructive on the earth, death, sin, pestilence, wars, disease, violence, hunger, all of this, all of this comes out of man wanting to rule for himself, not ruling in according to the kingdom, according to how God rules. And then God now, and this begins the story of how God, is reestablishing his rule on earth through mankind because God places his word above himself. And so now he rules through mankind. He calls Abraham in Genesis and he tells Abraham that he's reestablishing his order, that now he's calling him to, to, to establish a new family that would bring justice and righteousness to the earth, that God would rule again because righteousness and justice are actually the same word, justice and righteousness on the earth. And now that he's establishing righteousness and justice, he calls Abraham and he says that he will be the father of many nations that through his family will be the reconciliation of all creation through the children of Abraham, the children. And then we saw what happened with the children of Abraham. We saw that Abraham, even though he continued to fail, God's promise still existed through him. God was preserving a bloodline because God was bringing restoration to all things through this bloodline. And so he caught, and so we see now a family that's been broken apart and this family's been broken apart, but in that family, there was covenant. The one that was in covenant was Isaac. Isaac then begets Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes, that's Exodus. Those 12 tribes, sorry, that's Genesis. Sorry. Those 12 tribes of Israel now move to Egypt because of the famine. Sorry, the, the, the family of 12, they become the 12 tribes of Israel in Egypt. They become a nation in Egypt. And those 12 tribes fall under the oppression of, of uh, the, the oppression of uh, in Egypt. And then Moses comes in. Moses then delivers these people out, called by God to deliver these people out of Egypt. That leads us through Exodus. And through Exodus, they get to Mount Sinai and they make a covenant with God. This covenant that we read where you see the Ten Commandments, this covenant that we read of all the laws that we saw in Leviticus and Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, those laws were not written to Christians. Those laws were written to the children of Israel. The children of Israel were given those laws to shape them to becoming the nation of priests who would bring reconciliation and justice to all mankind. They were called to be separate. He told them to be holy for I am holy. So he's asking, remember, we're not inserting ourselves because this is not about us. This is about the children of Israel. So he calls the children of Israel. The children of Israel fail continually over and over again. And in the failing, Leviticus was about how God brings people who continue to fail, the people that he called, who continue to fail back into his presence. 
And the access back into his presence was what we call the atonement. Leviticus was all about that. How people who are far from God cannot enter into the presence of God. Because here's the thing, they would not leave the mountain without the presence of God. They knew that the land that God was calling them to go to, to establish the nation that they were calling, that they were being called to establish, to bring righteousness and justice to all the earth, they could not do that without the presence of God. So God said, you can go to the land, but they said, we will not leave the land unless your presence go with us. And so now they find themselves in this conundrum and God gives them an access back into his presence. And the access was by sacrifice of blood. So these people were different because they had a sacrificial order in which they went back or that they were given access back to the presence of God. After Leviticus, they were in Numbers and the book of Numbers was a journey of how they go now into the promised land. And so they're going on this journey from Mount Sinai into the promised land. And after they go through Mount Sinai into, they get to the promised land, we get into now Deuteronomy. Because see, along the way, these people lost their way. And when they lost their way, another generation had to go because that generation could not go because of the lack of their faith. Not because of disobedience, but because of their lack of faith. And after that, they were given access to go into the promised land. The book of Joshua was about their conquest. The book of Judges was about how they were in this land now. And being in this land, they continue to fail. They let, they let Canaanite culture enter into their nation. And we see a precipitous decline of the nation. And in that precipitous decline, we're going to get to why we're going to read Samuel. But in that precipitous decline, the book of Judges ends with everyone does or did. Look how the the last verse in Judges, in Judges 21, verse 25, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel had a problem. The same problem that Adam had. The problem that Adam had is that there was no king. Adam wanted to be his own king. And Adam wanted to do what was right in his own eyes. And these people did what was right in their own eyes. And we saw Judges is about the precipitous decline of a people who were called by God. And yet now they look worse than the Canaanites that they came into. And then we read Ruth. Ruth, I love, you know, people wonder why do they stick? Why is Ruth here? Because Ruth doesn't have, we don't see any talk of God in Ruth. Has anybody ever noticed that? There's nothing about God in Ruth. <laughs> There's nothing about God. We read Ruth, there's, we don't hear the Lord at all. We don't hear God. There's no Yahweh. There's no Elohim. God, God is not explicitly in the story of Ruth. So the question isn't why do you put the story of Ruth in the scripture? Why is it here? It's here because we need to know how the bloodline continues. You see, from here, we see everything has fallen apart in Judges. But then we see how Ruth opens up and in Ruth, we see how the Lord is still doing some work on the back end. That through the bloodline, there is a redeemer that is to come. That as Boaz is redeeming Ruth, we see now how through the bloodline of Boaz, Ruth becomes part of the bloodline of Jesus. And so look at the last, look at how it closes in verse seven, in verse 17 in the last chapter of Ruth. It talks about the descendants to show you the continuation of the bloodline. 
he says in verse 17. And also, uh, sorry. Yes. Also, the neighbor, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, there is born a son to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, who is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nahashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. The actual entire purpose of the book of Ruth was those last three verses that we just read. The whole purpose of the book of Ruth was to tell us how God was miraculously still working his work of redemption and that he was continuing his work of redemption, that there was a king to come. Notice, and now we're going to read 1 Samuel. Notice, Judges ends, Judges 21 verse 25 ends, within those days there was no king in Israel. And Ruth ends with now the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nahashon. Nahashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. What is happening here? In those days, there was no king. Ruth is ending with there will be a king. Judges ends with, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Ruth ends with, the king is coming. There is a king coming who will establish his justice on earth, who will establish his rule on earth, who will establish his order on earth. There is a king to come that's going to make all these things right. Because up to this point, the people of God cannot because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And now we get to Samuel. So the children of Israel are anticipating the coming of a king. And now we begin to see the foreshadow of the coming of the king. And this leads us to Samuel. So let's read. <laughs> Today, we're only going to read for about, I know it was a long setup, but I want to make sure everybody knew where we were. And I'm so happy to see everybody back. I'm so happy to see all of y'all back. So happy to see my fam back. So good to see all of y'all. But I wanted to make sure I set it up. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's Christ. <laughs> That's exactly right. Spoiler alert, it is Christ. Because we think it's David, but we're going to see later on in the Gospels that it goes from David right, to Christ. David is just the ushering of the king to come because David, 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 we're going to learn that David isn't the king that Israel needs. But before David, there's another one. So now we're about to read the story of how now God is continuing his story of justice through the children of Israel. Amen, y'all. So let's go to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. 
And I'll just read for for 10 minutes today because I know I spent a lot of time setting up. And then we're going to spend some time just reflecting on these thoughts. Okay. We're going to be reflecting on these thoughts. I'm glad to be back as well. So good, good to see you all. Thank you so much for the gift. Thank you so much for the badge. Um, and it says this, and you guys can read with me. First Samuel chapter one. Now there was a certain man in Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, and Ephraim, Ephraimite. And he had two wives. Name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to Hannah, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but you will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Eli, sorry, now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put, a, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink. I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah and his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the, prompt, in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer 
to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. I'm going to read one more chapter. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more very profoundly. Sorry, talk no more very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. And those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she has many children. She, sorry, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness." For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah. But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's customs with the people was that when a man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they went to Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there also before they burned the fat. The priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take the boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now 
and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Mm. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to give him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home and the Lord visited Hannah. So she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not good. It is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not hear the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature in both favor with the Lord and with men. Then the man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, that I clearly not reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. Did I not choose him out of the tribe of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offsprings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering when I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said, indeed, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that you, so that there will be, sorry, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good that God does for Israel. And there shall be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar, shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Hmm. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before me anointed forever and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. The word 
of the living God. Um, Father, speak to us as we engage in your word, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you would reveal your heart to us, that you would reveal your mind to us, that you would reveal all of who you are to us. Lord, be present in all that we say and do. Lord, bring clarity to our thought. Lord, allow us not to insert ourselves into the scripture, but Lord, that you would reveal, Lord, the truth of who you are. Lord, allow us to excavate your grace, your word, your heart, your wisdom, your understanding, Lord, through the scripture. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um. I only have a few minutes today. And as you guys know, this is what we usually do. Our regular time that we commit is uh, we read about 20 minutes of scripture and then we spend about 20 to 30 minutes. So we spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture and then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes or whatever time's afforded to really reflect and to ruminate over the scripture that, uh, that we've been reading. As I mentioned before, this has been fruitful for all of us uh, because it allows us now to see a broader uh, perspective of the scripture, uh, a broader perspective to see the totality of the scripture and the narrative, the divine narrative of God. The, the, the scripture is not a book of laws, okay? It's actually a story. It's a divine story of a divine, uh, of a divine God, uh, Yahweh, the great I am, what we call Jehovah. This is the story of how he's bringing reconciliation to all mankind. This is a book that is written in antiquity, and yet it has so much relevance to us today. This book that we're reading here, this book is a book that has eternal implications. This book is a book that has always existed and still exists. Um, you cannot take the word of God away. You, the word of God can never disappear because the word of God is the truth of him. As long as God exists, his word exists. And therefore, when we read the scriptures, we cannot read the scriptures with a very myopic perspective of reading it as a book of rules as Christians ought to read. But rather, we should be reading it as a story that transforms the heart and the mind of each and every believer. This is not about rules, family. This is not about rules. This is about the story of how God is putting us back together, how God is putting humanity back together, how God is putting the world back together, how God is putting the nations back together. It's a story about how God is reconciling all men. It's a story about how God is redeeming all things and how God is at work. This is all about him. If anybody understands this, this is not about us. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done and what he's doing, what he continues to do and what he's doing even in this moment. This is the story of God. And as I read through the book of Samuel, I want to make sure you guys understand this, that, that as we're reading through this book, what we should be asking is, what, what have you done, God, and what are you doing right now? This book is written in antiquity, but there's also a relevance to it today that God is doing something today, even though we see what he has done. His name is Yahweh. <laughs> and this is this is why we're here. We're here to learn more about what God has done and the implications about what God has done to us today. This is what God is doing through the chosen people of Israel. These people, these people who God chose, these 
these children of Abraham, who out of the children of Abraham were the children of Israel, and out of the children of Israel came the nation of Israel, and out of the nation of Israel came debauchery and violence because the nation of Israel decided to follow their own mind, their own heart, their own perspective. Me, myself, and I is the great evil of this world. Let me say that one more time. Me, myself, and I is the great evil of this world. If you ask what is wrong with the world, what is wrong with the world is the me, myself, and I mentality. The name Jehovah, brother, is, is Jehovah is simply the translation of Yahweh. Okay? The word Jehovah is just a translation of Yahweh. And so now what we see here is that God is bringing restoration to the people, but that what God is doing to restore the earth and to restore a people is also happening through mankind. God is not going to do anything on this earth without human participation. Let me say that one more time. There's nothing that God does on the earth without human participation. God is not doing anything if he's not doing it in collaboration with humanity. If God wants to do anything on this earth, he's going to bring a human being to participate with him to do it. That's what we see throughout the narrative of the scripture. God never separates himself from humanity because God has inserted himself into humanity. God is moving through humanity. He's moving through humanity. He's moving through us all. I'm reading the scripture, and I want to make sure you guys understand what our posture ought to be every time we read the scripture is to say, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? You see, when we begin to realize that we are just agents, extensions of Christ, See, I'm, I'm already bringing Jesus in before Jesus has even shown up in the picture. And yet at the end of the day, this entire encyclopedia is pointing to Jesus. I'm going to say one, one thing, because I know I'm ranting and everybody knows how these rants work. I'm just going to share whatever thoughts and whatever the Lord is leading me to speak into uh, for the day in the moment that I'm here. But when we talk about... Uh, when we talk about the plan of God, the mission of God, the purpose of the scripture, understand that this Bible was not meant to give us all spiritual information. You understand the Bible does not have everything. People have always asked me about the apocryphal books, or they'll ask me about other scriptures, or they'll ask me about other books. And they'll say, well, what about that book? What about that book? What about that book? All those books have information. They all have information, but this book was uniquely ordered in a certain way to point to Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of this book is to point to Jesus. That's the whole purpose of this book. And if in the end you do not end with Jesus, then you're reading this book wrong. Okay? So people talk about the book of Enoch, or they talk about the other apocryphal books, or they'll talk about the book of Philip, or you'll hear them, you'll, you'll hear people bring up the book of Mary, and, and all that, all those books may have information, but this book is sufficient to give us what is most critical and most important, and that's Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Yahashua. And that's the problem, I think, with a lot of Christians, is there's a lot of Christians who feel like this book isn't enough. And when you feel like this book isn't enough, what you're really saying is that Jesus isn't enough. Because this book says everything you need to know about Jesus. 
and how God is moving through you and how God is redeeming you and how he's doing it all for the glory of Christ. All things exist to glorify Christ. All things exist to bring glory to him. I say all of that to say this, that for some of you, you're wondering, why is the book ordered this way? Why are these particular books part of this encyclopedia? Why is it that there are these books and there are other books that aren't there? These books are here for one purpose, to give you the story of how Jesus has brought reconciliation to humanity and how Jesus is at work and how Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on earth. Therefore, the other books don't matter because all the books you need for Jesus are right here. The Bible does not have all information, but it has all the necessary information. The Bible has everything necessary and the Bible in and of itself is sufficient. I have to say that because if we're reading Samuel, we have to read Samuel to see how it plays a part in the story of Jesus, how it plays a part and how it points to the coming of Jesus Christ. Where is Samuel in this story? Because now we're seeing up to the point that as, uh, uh, as we, we saw the book of Judges end, the book of Judges ends with there was no king. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Israel has fallen into profound, profoundly dark decline. Israel is about as low as it gets. Israel now not only looks like Canaan, but you can say maybe lives worse than Canaan. We see a near pornographic image of violence and destruction. Um, we, see, we see child trafficking, trafficking of women. We see all of that. The children of Israel have fallen into this precipitous decline because of me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. And yet, even though there was no king, God is establishing a king to rule. We see now in the book of Samuel, as it opens up, we see that it opens up with the story and, and we're seeing the introduction of a, of a prophet that for many of us, we, are, we all should be, uh, if we've read through scripture, if you have any first time reading, I'm just glad you're here. Um, but for those who have read this multiple times, you should have, we should know about the prophet Samuel. A lot that we don't know about the prophet Samuel, that we just assume and presume about the prophet Samuel. Uh, but how Samuel came to be is already a miracle in and of itself. It's a miracle of faith. It's a response that God had to Hannah's prayer. Notice now that what God is doing to bring restoration now to a people who are in complete decline. Okay. Ruth, remember, Ruth is. What, while, so, so just so you know where Ruth is happening, because this is all part of the story, right? Of how God's restoring things. Ruth is happening at the same time, almost contemporaneously with judges. So while Israel is in this complete decline morally, right? In this complete spiritual, moral, sociological decline. While all that is happening, the book of Ruth is happening. So the book of Ruth, I think I titled it in, in our, in the, um, in the, um, in the podcast, I titled it Meanwhile, because that's what Ruth is. Meanwhile, while everything's falling apart, God is still working things in the back end. And I think that's a word of testimony for many of us here, that there are those of us who have been in dark seasons in our life, 
in dark places. There are some of us right now that are living in debauchery. There are some people who are watching this right now that are living in darkness. There are those of you right now who know I'm living in a house with a guy I shouldn't be living with. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged with a woman that I shouldn't be engaged with. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm in some dark places and I'm in some dark seasons and I'm, I'm, I'm doing some dark things. And, and there's a lot of dark things working in my life. There's some stuff right now for many of you who are saying, I, I'm just like the children of Israel and judges. I'm, 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 I'm in this, this phase in my life where I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know why I do the things that I do. I don't know why I've fallen into this complete darkness. I'm, I'm, I'm in addiction and I'm I'm doing things I never thought I would do and I'm 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 just in a I'm just in this dark and, and ugly place or those of you who are saying that what you should be encouraged is that meanwhile while Israel was falling into this moral decline into this place of darkness into probably the ugly I mean this is the ugly part of their history it doesn't get uglier than the book of judges and yet in all of its ugliness the book of Ruth is a story of how God is still doing his work on the back end so this is my word for you before I even get into the word for the day but my word for you today brother and sister is meanwhile while you are falling apart God is still bringing a plan of restoration in your life meanwhile while you're not living the life that you should live Christ is doing something on the back end. Meanwhile, while everything is, is, is upside down in your life, Christ is doing the work on the back end. Meanwhile, while you're living with that person you shouldn't be living with, while you're doing that thing that you shouldn't be doing, while you're in the situation that you shouldn't be in, meanwhile, God is doing a work on the back end. This should be a word of encouragement because your story is not over. I don't care how dark it is for you right now. I don't care how low it is. I don't care where you you're at. I don't care how, listen, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that you can bring to God that will not that will surprise him. Nothing will surprise him. He's already seen it. It's a been there, done that. There's some people right now who think that their life is upside down, that their life is not worthy for grace, that their life is. Can I just tell you something right now? Your life isn't as bad as you think, and it's not as dark as you think. God knows darker. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how ashamed you are. I don't care how much shame people have put upon you. I don't care how much shame the church put on you. I don't care how, shame, how much shame people have put on you. It's not dark enough. Okay. Your story is not even Netflix worthy. <laughs> Your story is not even Netflix worthy. And yet God redeems those with Netflix worthy stories. Your darkness is not even Netflix worthy. It's not even compelling enough. So don't come here saying, man, for as bad as I am of a person and as, as dark as a place have I been, God has been in darker. The, the scriptures tell us that if we descend to the depths of hell, he is also there. I don't know why I'm leaning here, but I have to lean here for a moment because there's some people who are watching this right now and some people who are attending right now who say, I'm in the darkest of places. There's no way God can, can forgive me. There's no way God can deliver me. If Jesus can enter into Hades, if Jesus can can go down to the depths of death and go down to the depths of hell, then Jesus can meet you right where you are. As long as you are breathing, as long as you are living, as long as you are still here, it is not over for you because even in the midst of your darkness, there's a meanwhile. There's a meanwhile. Ruth is the meanwhile. And now we're waiting on David. But before the king can come, there must be a prophet. 
before the king came, there had to have been a prophet. The prophet was there to establish space for the king. You see, the prophet is going to tell you, wow, I'm just going to work this. I'm going to work this for a moment. The prophet must come before the king. You need to be convicted of where you are before God can take you where he wants you to go. And for many people, we want Christ to rule, but before Christ rules, Christ has to call out where you are. You see, the children of Israel are waiting for a king now to bring restoration. But before the rule of God can be established, a prophet must come to point out the word of God then, now, and the word of God now to the people. We can't see David until we see Samuel. Samuel had to come before David because a prophet comes before the king. And this is why we're here now in this text, because we need a king. But before we have a king, we need a prophet. You know, there's a lot of people who want the king in Jesus. They want the king. I'm sorry if I, I always apologize. I don't know why I'm apologizing, but, but we, we want the king. We want Jesus to rule. And we wonder why Jesus cannot rule. The Jesus, the Jesus that we want to rule our lives is incapable of ruling a life that has not yet been convicted. Jesus can't rule your life and he cannot be king over your life until there's a conviction of the truth of where you are. Therefore, the prophet must come before the king. There are a lot of us who, when we think of prophets, we think of prophets as people who tell us our futures. <laughs> we, we, you know, we've been taught, uh, this is just bad church, bad theology. We've been taught that the prophet is the one that tells us, you know, that God's going to bless us with a new house and a new home, or that God's going to tell us about things we already know. I love when people are waiting for the prophet to give them words of knowledge, not realizing that, you know, the prophet just told you something that you already know. <laughs> So I always have issues with people who they just want a word of knowledge. You just want a word of knowledge. Why would you want some, why would you want a prophet to come and tell you something you already know? The only reason why there's a word of knowledge that is given is just to get your attention. Because after the word of knowledge should come the word of truth. The word of truth should follow the word of knowledge. There are a lot of people who are really looking for spiritual uh, psychics. They're actually not looking for a prophet because a prophet is not a spiritual psychic. If you want to know what the paradigm of the prophetic is, a, the paradigm of the prophetic is Samuel. Samuel tells you what the office of the prophet does and what the prophet is supposed to do and how the prophet moves. You see, we want the prophet to tell us our future. But the prophet actually spends more time convicting us of our present. Oh, we want to know. We want to know God's going to bless us and God's going to turn it around and God's going to do all these things. I know we've grown up in those churches. We want we want all of that, not realizing that often the prophets are not received in their own homes. 
I people say, well, I'm a prophet because I can see things. You're not a prophet if you have a problem with people not liking you because prophets aren't liked and many prophets are killed. But before there can be a king, there must be a prophet. And the prophet came before the king. Does that sound familiar? A prophet coming before a king? Is that familiar? John the Baptist coming before Jesus? Anyway, we'll come back to that. That's another conversation for another day. But we see the ushering of a prophet to a nation that has fallen into debauchery. And I'm going to close. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I know I'm, 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 I can work this. I can be here all day, so I'm not going to do that. Okay. I can be here all day reflecting. But what is the Lord speaking into me today? What is the Lord speaking into me today? The book of Samuel opens up with Hannah. And I preached, actually, I preached a message on the font uh, live broadcast. You can check it on a series that we call Prayer Works. And we, we, we inaugurated that series with a message uh, on prayer works. And, and we talk about how prayer works. Scripture tells that the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But what I taught in that, in that, and I'll give you the cliff note, is that prayer always works. Prayer always works. But it doesn't necessarily work in the way that you think it does. Prayer doesn't work in the way that you would prefer it to work. Prayer always works. Hannah's prayer worked because Hannah, the scriptures tell us that she was barren. Hannah, the scriptures tell us in verse six that the Lord had closed her womb. We're waiting, we're, we're awaiting this coming of a prophet, right? This prophet that is to come because the prophet has to come before the king. And yet this prophet is, is coming through the prayer of a barren woman. The scriptures tell us that the Lord closed her womb and she wept and she wept and she prayed. And the scriptures tell us that she prayed. And when she prayed, the scriptures tell us at the end of her prayer that her face was not sad anymore. But the funny thing about it is that her face was not sad anymore, but she had not yet received the child. Her face was not sad anymore even though she hadn't gotten her breakthrough yet. It says that her face was no longer sad in verse 18, even though God did not give her Samuel. Samuel didn't come until verses later. And the crazy thing about it is that when she gets Samuel, the scriptures end with her giving Samuel back. She gets sent. So what she's been praying for, weeping for, she was quickly ready to let go. Watch this. In verse 21, we see the men Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice. Remember, they had to go to, we read, we read all this before, okay? That they had to go to, um, that there were certain cities put in place in Israel that they would go to, to perform the annual celebration, the annual sacrifice. And so Elkanah 
was going to perform the annual sacrifice, to go to uh, partake, so not perform, but to go and partake in the annual sacrifice. And in going to partake in the annual sacrifice, he asked, he asked, you know, he asked Hannah, will you come with me? But Hannah said, no, I, uh, I need to wean this child first. Why did she need to wean the child? She needed Samuel to become independent of her so that he can, so that she can let go of him and release him. Even while Samuel was at the breast, her conviction was, I'm giving him back to the Lord. When she had just received the blessing that she prayed for, she was already ready to give it back. This is my question, and this is my conviction. And tomorrow, we're going to talk a little bit about the ministry of Samuel, because there's a lot here about how Samuel comes to be. And we talk about his childhood ministry. But what gets me today, and this is the word of conviction I want to leave with y'all. Are you praying for blessings that you aren't willing to let go of? What are you praying for when you pray? Are you praying for a child that you wouldn't be willing to let go of? Are you praying for a home that you wouldn't be ready to release? Are you praying for money that you would hold with a tight grip? Are you praying for blessings that you wouldn't be ready to release? Here's the conviction that I have, family, is that there are a lot of us who are praying to God for things that we're not ready to let go of. And it's the grace of God that allows him to not respond to those prayers. Because if God gave us, there's some things that if God blessed us with it, we would lose him in the process. I find that there are many folks, pay attention, fam, because this is tight, but it's going to be right. There's some folks, the only reason they pray is because they suffer. There's some folks, the only reason they're in the presence of God right now is because they're going through it. The only reason why they're 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 seeking after God and they're close to God and they're near him is because of the pain. And the reality is, is that if God took away the pain from you and if God gave you what you asked for, you wouldn't seek him anymore. And I'm becoming more and more aware that it is the love of God and the grace of God that keeps him from blessing us with certain things. Because if there's anything that's more important than what God blesses us with, it's the person who blesses us with it. Hannah wanted this blessing, but she would never give this blessing precedence over her relationship with God. And for many of us here, we want God to give, but we don't want the giver.
So for some of you, you're like, God, why haven't you given me this thing? Why haven't you blessed me with this thing? Why haven't you turned this around for me? Lord, why am I still going through this? God's answer to many of you is that if you get it, you'll lose me. If you get if you get this blessing and if I turn this around for me, you will lose me in the process. What profiteth a man to gain the whole world, but then to lose his own soul? Mm. Your prayer should be, Lord, whether I have it or I don't, I'm yours. Lord, whether whether you bless me with this child or not, I'm yours. But this child, I don't want it for my own identity. I don't want it just to feel good about myself. This child, I don't want this child just to just to feel like, man, you know, I finally can 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 come before society and I can finally feel like a woman or I can finally feel like a man. I don't want this child because, you know, I've been trying to do this power family thing. I don't want I don't want to be married because, you know, I, I don't want to be alone anymore. I, I don't want to be married simply because, you know, I want to make sure people don't realize I ain't crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. I, I don't want this money just so I can flex on people. I want all this so that I can point to the glory of Christ. Like for you, I, I want you, Lord. Like I want you. And if what I have can't bring glory to you, then I'm okay with not having it. Some of you, the reason why God can't bless you yet it's because your hands are still too tight on the very thing that you've been dreaming and wishing for, not realizing that rather than worshiping God, you're worshiping an idol. I want that child, but is that child more important than God? I want that job, but is that job more important than Jesus? I, I, I want to finally move up in this business, but is this business about your flex or is it about how you can bring glory to Christ? Ah, I don't know if we have the countenance of Hannah in this scripture because the scriptures tell us in verse 26, and she said, Oh my Lord, as my soul lives, I'm a woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worship the Lord there in chapter two, verse 18. Notice what it says there in chapter two, verse 18. It says, but when Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod, moreover, his mother used to bring him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. She saw him once a year. The moment she said, look what she says. It's, it's crazy when you think about it. In verse 24, now when she weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah flower and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Notice the moment that Samuel was able to get off the breast. She released him. The child that she was praying for, crying for, the child that she was, there's a lot of us here. We got to change our prayer. 
We've been praying to God for a breakthrough, but have you been praying for his presence? You've been praying for God to turn it around in your life, but have you been praying for the presence of God? We've been praying that the Lord finally, you know, helps me get my finances in order, but have you thought about his presence? Him. The things that you have right now, there's some of you right now who've been blessed, who are blessed with millions, who are blessed with a platform, blessed with, 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 with position and title. There are those of you right here who are blessed. You, are, you have been blessed by God. Has the blessing got in the way of the giver? Has the gift that God has given you gotten in the way of the giver? Nobody asks you to earn anything. There's some people who feel guilty when they have money. <laughs> they, they, get, they feel guilty because you go, man, you know, I didn't really do anything for this and I kind of feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. That's favor. The question is, though, is, is the favor ahead of the favor giver? There are those of you right now who say, man, I've just been blessed with intelligence and I've been blessed with the brilliance. And, and so I get to do things that I get to do things and go places I would never go. And, and there's some of you right now who are saying, man, I, I don't know. I, what do I do with that? Because if I lost that, I would lose everything. But here's the thing. Didn't God say to Abraham, I am your just reward. I think for many of us, our grip is too tight on the things God gives, and we lose the giver in the process. And yet for many of us, it's the grace of God that has kept us from the things we've been praying for. Because my God, the giver is so much better than the gift. The giver is so much better than the gift. The giver is better than the gift. The giver is better than the gift. The giver is better than the gift. The giver, the giver, the giver is better than the gift. The giver wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. He, he, he wants you to know him. And, and when you have the giver, like when you have the giver, the gift doesn't even matter anymore. The gift doesn't even matter anymore. As a matter of fact, now you've learned how to really have joy. There are people who have the gifts but don't have joy. Who have the gifts but don't have peace. Who have the gifts but don't feel the presence. Who have the gifts but yet they live in perpetual darkness and anxiety. Yeah, you wanted to get married. Lord, give me a husband. Now that you're married, now you feel less than. Oh, if only I can get this promotion. You got the promotion, and yet now you feel less fulfilled. There are those of you right now who've been fighting. You know, once I get my first million, you got your first million, and then now you're like, okay. There are those of us right now who have things we're praying for. Man, I can't wait to go viral on TikTok. When I go viral on TikTok, man, it's going to feel so good. And I'll finally feel there. And then you finally go viral. It's like, okay. We have been chasing the gift 
when we should be chasing the giver. Because you can have the giver and feel fulfilled in life without a single gift. But man, when you have the giver, the gifts come. (laughs) I will be the first to tell you that. When you have the giver, the gifts come. When you have the giver, man, the grip gets loosened. We miss what's going on here with Hannah. Hannah was no longer sad because she had the giver. She didn't get the gift. She was boohoo crying all from from chapter 8 Sorry, from verse 8 to verse 18 to verse 17. She's boo-hoo crying about the fact that she's barren. And then when she's done praying, her face is no longer sad. She did not get the blessing yet. She didn't get Samuel, but she was good. She was good because now she had the giver. She was affirmed by her heavenly father. She had the giver. And then finally in verse 20, the scriptures say that the Lord remembered her. Today, I want you to reflect on this. This is what the Lord is really, really pressing into me because there are things that I have a grip on right now that the Lord is telling me I need to loosen up my grip. That's going to be the title of this, this episode, Loosen the Grip. There's things that the Lord is telling me right now, even as I'm telling you. Because I want you guys to understand, when we do the read and rant, you guys are eavesdropping into my daily reflection. This is what I do every morning. This is what I've done on a regular. You guys are just eavesdropping into it. And these are things I do every morning as I read through Scripture. Lord, what are you saying to me today? And what the Lord is saying is you got your grip on too much stuff, Isaac. Loosen your grip. Loosen your grip on your sons. That's what the Lord is telling me today. They're not yours. They're mine. Wow, Father. (laughs) They're not your kids. They're my kids. Loosen your grip. You need me to be able to father them. You're just a steward of the gift. Um, God has expanded my platform. When I was just talking to, uh, I got a friend who's here with me today, Laurent. <laughs> Uh, was an incredibly, incredibly talented photographer and videographer and Sergo. And, you know, I was just telling him today that I'm getting, I'm trying to get familiar with certain things in my life right now. Everybody, if anybody knows me or grew up with me knows I'm very like low key person. I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't really care for much. I've learned to just like, I just like to be in my space. Okay, I can, I can live in a hole. If you give me internet and iPad, and I'm good. Put me in a hole, give me internet, iPad, a place to change my clothes in a shower, and I'm good. <laughs> okay, throw a meal every now and then. But there's something that's just been happening, and I was telling him, and I was sharing to him that over the past 
couple weeks. I think it's almost every day now. Doesn't matter where I go, somebody's approaching me. Hey, are you Pastor Isaac? Are you the pray with me guy? <laughs> uh, are you the guy that you that shares those tick? You're the TikTok pastor. Somebody called me the Bishop of TikTok. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I was like, what? And and I, you know, and I was just sharing it with him today that it's starting to to catch up to me. Is I at first I said I don't know what to do with this. Like, what what am I supposed to do with that? I like being in my little hole. I like being in my little hole. But now I'm going to Starbucks, going to Target, at Walmart, and people are approaching me to say, hey, I've been so blessed by your ministry. I never expected that. Never expected that. What the Lord is telling me today is he's saying, loosen your grip. He's saying, loosen your grip. This isn't about you. This was never about you. This is about my glory. And as God is opening all these doors, he's opening these doors. And it's easy to fall into the pressure of it all. And God's saying, bro, you didn't get here on your own. So what do you think is going to keep you here? So on your own, you could have never got here. So what's going to keep you here? Guys, I got, I got 280 people on TikTok right now. I got how many people? 71 people. 71 of y'all want to listen to me? <laughs> Are you serious? I got 11 people on Facebook. I've got all these people. And I say, and I remember telling my wife this, and I said to her, what are all these people doing here? What are they doing here? You know, my wife is always quick to humble me. She said, they didn't come because of you. They came because of what God is doing through you. I'm sure my wife is here. She's probably on here right now. Um, I say this just to say, fam. The Lord is telling me to loosen my grip today. Stop trying to control your destiny. Stop trying to control your narrative. I'm writing your story. And what God is saying to you today is he's writing your story. The stuff you've been praying for, God is saying you want to hold it. So loosen your grip. Your children, there's some folks right now, right now, who they feel like, man, I'm losing my kids in the process. You have to let them go. He says, let my people go. They're not your kids. They were entrusted to you by God. You are a steward of God's children. On my own, can't do it. That's for sure. I was just, you know, I was, I've been thinking all weekend, just, you know, man, am I, am I doing right with my boys? I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't think I'm doing this right. I could do so much better. <laughs> I was just, I've just been, you know, I've been wrestling with that. I, I wish somebody just taught me how to do this. Give me, give me the step by step. And God's like, take them to the temple. They're mine. They're not yours. I've entrusted them with you. Hannah, let them go. So what she's been praying for, she was very quick to let go. Why? 
because it was never about the gift. It was always about the giver. So make it about the giver. Make your life about the giver. Make everything you do about the giver. God is restoring the children of Israel. He's doing it through a prophet. But before that prophet could come, there needed to be a woman who would loosen her grip. And she did. So will we. Father, we just ask right now, Lord, that you would Lord, teach us to loosen our grip. But just to let go, to open our hands and to let go. But let go of whatever story we have for ourselves, whatever narrative we have for ourselves, whatever plan we have for ourselves, to just trust in you, to let go. Lord, the things that we're praying for, Father, we pray, Lord, that they would not lead us away from you. We pray, Lord, even in our season of tarrying, that we would be drawn closer to you. We pray, Lord, that our countenance and our face would change even before the breakthrough, Father. I ask right now for those who are in prayer that you would bring healing to their heart, healing to their mind, healing to their soul. Bring restoration to them, Lord, in this season. For we know, Father, that you are the God who's restoring all things, redeeming all things, drawing us back to your presence. But, Father, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would convict us of this reality, Lord, of things that we're holding on to that take precedence over you. Father, I pray this prayer right now. Take away the stuff that gets in the way. Take away the stuff that gets in the way. And Father, use the stuff that you've given us that would bring us closer to you and draw us in deeper dependence on you, that we can be used by you and bring glory to you, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.